Well, good morning, everyone. Good, good to see you all this morning. It definitely feels like the Sunday after the long weekend. It's nice to see everybody, and uh, yeah, it, uh, I trust that you had a, had a summer, <laughs> a good summer, hopefully. Um, and I'm going to start this morning by, by just recalling a story about something that happened to us as a family one summer a couple years ago. See, um, a couple years ago, we were staying at a campground, and uh, on the site beside us was another family. And initially, we just made small talk between us. I mean, they had a trailer, we had a trailer, they had kids, we had kids, that kind of conversation. Until near the end of our stay, she came up to our site and she really was excited to tell me about a podcast that, that she thought was really important, that she thought was really great. And then it happened. And in a very short period of time, this is what happened. She uh, shared some of her thoughts about vaccines, the public school system, sexuality, gender, politics, race, and more. Yeah, like, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Those are all the things you're supposed to avoid, aren't they? Like, that's, what I, that's the memo I got. And I wasn't, like, I wasn't sure what to do because each of these things in and of themselves are a powder keg, aren't they? And if I shared my thoughts, which in many cases were different than her thoughts, at best we were going to have some awkwardness, at best. Have you ever had a conversation like that with somebody? Maybe with a neighbor or a family member. In the last couple of years, we found out that we have family members that we think differently about. How do we respond in those moments? Well, in my story, this is what I did. And I'm not, not telling you this is the right way to respond, okay? Actually, this next sermon series is all about how you should respond differently than this. Um, is I just kind of smiled and nodded and hoped that the conversation would go away. And then I went and I told Michelle, I was like, you can't believe who's camping beside us. All right? That is one way to respond, not the right way. Uh, but some of us were like, yeah, that's my response too. Uh, sometimes we just try to avoid it. Like we do everything we can to manage our relationships so that we never have one of those conversations. Right? We tiptoe around things. We have excuses to get out of conversations and to not see people because it just might be awkward. And other times we choose to engage. And what ends up happening is an argument, right? Because we feel the need to set somebody right by asserting ourselves. I mean, if they're going to say what they're going to say, we're going to say what we think, and then it's just the thing, right? We've had these experiences. Well, at West Heights Community Church, right here, we are part of a Christian denomination called the Be in Christ Church of Canada, who is a part of the Anabaptist theological tradition, and throughout history, Anabaptists have been known for our peace theology when it comes from abstaining from war. We are known as pacifists. But there's more to our peace theology than just abstaining from war and, and, and violence. Rather, uh, how we engage in these difficult relationships, how we engage these divisive topics are ways that we can express Jesus' call on our lives to be peacemakers. It is a way that we live out our peace theology. And so during this time when we know that a lot of our relationships have become polarized, even politicized, it's important that we develop skills of healthy dialogue so that we can learn how do we engage the division and the conflict that we seem to, uh, we seem to engage all the time. And so this is going to be the focus of our teaching time for the, for the, over the course of the fall. And so to, to guide this, we are using a material put, put together by the Mennonite Central Committee called Peaceful Practices. And it's such a good title that we just renamed this sermon series, Peaceful Practices. Okay, we're just taking that material from that. I didn't come up with this. This is my disclaimer. It's all plagiarized, okay? Um, we're just making it, our, uh, we're making it for us. We're applying it to us in our context here. And it's great 
It's great material, but realistically, the amount of time that we have for our teaching time um, won't allow us to go in depth with all the great stuff that's a part of this material. And so we've got a couple ideas for you that you might want to take advantage of. The first is that this curriculum, this material, you can use on your own. And so uh, we are sending out each week a link to each week's material. Um, You can download it. You can download the whole thing. You can download just the stuff for this specific week. And in it, you'll find a biblical reflection. We'll we'll touch on some of it this morning, uh, as well as some reflection questions and some uh, practices, tools and practices that we can apply to our lives. Uh, It's really good material. And I think if you are keen on making this stuff stick, I would encourage you to at least look at it once over the course of the week. And... uh, and to, you know, think about how you can apply it. Um, you could choose to work on it yourself, or you could gather a couple people together, and you could use it as a discussion time. That's up to you. But this material is kind of dense, and it's, 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 um, it's hard stuff. In fact, we're going to talk this morning about struggle and about wrestling, and I think that as you work your way through this material, if you choose to do so, you might really appreciate it having some people to think out loud with, because, well, it's hard stuff. <laughs> And you might be like, this is nuts. I can't do this. And you want to hear somebody else say, yeah, it's hard, but I'm thinking about it this way. And so we actually have a house church group who's starting this week who's going to work through this material uh, together. And uh, the information for that is in our newsletter this week. If you click the Peaceful Practices blog post, it'll take you and it'll tell you about a house church. Beth Young is running it. Do you mind raising your hand, Beth? Yeah, Beth is right there. You can talk to her there after the service if you want. If you fill out a form there, it'll go to her and she can kind of tell you what to expect. It's happening on Monday nights and it starts this Monday and we realize this might be short notice and so if it doesn't work, Connect with Beth, and maybe you just jump in on week two. That's okay. But I think having a group of people to work, with, work through this material with might be good. And if you're already in a house church and you want to grab this material and run with it, maybe over the next fall, you are, this fall season, you are welcome to do so. Or maybe you want to listen to the series and come back to it in the, in the winter. That's okay, too. We, it's, it's, material is available to us. The last thing I'm going to highlight is that on October 1st, we have a learning experience book called the Kairos Blanket Exercise. Some of us are familiar with this, but uh, as Canadians who maybe are interested in what does it mean to be uh, peacemakers in our context, this is an opportunity for us to learn together about our history, in particular about the history of our indigenous peoples, and to be walking in a, a learning experience together that, it, that will move us along in this idea of reconciliation and peacemaking. And so we're excited to be having this. We have somebody from MCC coming to lead this here. It's in the afternoon on October 1st from 2 to 5 p.m. Um, the thing is, it, it, we have a limited number of people that can participate. Now, the number is 60, so it's not like only 10 people can participate. 60 people can. Um, but we need you to sign up. And so go to our blog, go, go to the newsletter, and sign up uh, as soon as you can. We want to make sure that everybody can participate. And if if, you, if it's full, and it's not full yet, um, you can add your name to the wait list, and we will do what we can to get you involved. Um, and as an aside, everything I just talked about here pointed us to the newsletter and to the website, and we're trying to keep those things up to date. And so if you missed anything, go to those sources, and that, all that information is there for you. But we're hoping that as we go, journey through this together, that you will take advantage of some of these opportunities to, to learn, uh, perhaps on your own or with others, and to deepen what it is that we're talking about, make it so it sticks in us so that we are learning peaceful practices and that we can use. Now, to get this series started, this morning we're going to look at the story of of two brothers, twin brothers, named Jacob and Esau. And in this story, we're going to see that being aware of God's presence in our experience of division and conflict is key to practicing peace. 
So as we're talking about what it means to practice peace, being aware of God's presence in our experiences of division and conflict is absolutely key. Now, in the book of Genesis, this is where we find the story of Jacob and Esau. Um, we learn that you know, Esau, even though they're twins, Esau is the, is the firstborn, and he couldn't be more different from his younger bo- brother Jacob. Uh, Esau is the rugged outdoorsman, and he's favored by his father. And then we have Jacob, who's a little bit more of a home, homebody. Mom really likes him, and, he, and he's known for being a good cook. And right here from the beginning, you can see the beginning points for division. Right? You got one's favored by, by dad, one's favored by mom, one's the outdoorsman, one's the homebody. You get the, the narrator setting this up so that we get an idea that there, there is the possibility for division to take place. And then one day, Esau is out on the hunt, and Jacob disi- disguises himself as his older brother and tricks his dying father into giving him a, the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And this is devastating and humiliating to Esau, who becomes so enraged with his brother that he determines that he's going to get revenge on his brother to the point that his brother thinks he's going to kill him, and he actually flees. Jacob runs away, and he starts a new life far away from his brother, and he's never going to see his mother and his father again as a result. And so for 25 years, these brothers remain apart until one day God says to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Go back, he says. You know, this is a, a direction, a prompt from God to turn, for Jacob to turn back to that last place where he encountered his brother. That last time when he was there and he, you know, did not treat his brother very well. He did his brother wrong and his brother was angry. Go back to that same place. This would not be an easy decision for Jacob, but it was a decision to, the decision to go back is absolutely necessary if there is to be any hope for reconciliation between these two. And that right there is something that we ought to keep in mind for ourselves. That reconciliation is not possible if we continue to move apart. Rather, to practice peace requires that we move towards those that we might be in conflict with. And for Jacob, you know... Pay attention to this. God never promises that this is going to be easy. The move towards his brother is going to be easy. But the thing that he does promise is that God will be with Jacob as he goes. You know, let's be upfront about this as we get into this series. That this idea of moving towards somebody that we aren't seeing eye to eye with feels unnatural. And it's going to feel like hard work. You know, what is easy and what feels natural is to pull away. It's to find reasons to avoid people. It's to clump with people who are just like us and and, in our values and in our patterns of thinking. That is easy. It's easy to get stuck in our echo chambers of ideas that support how we see the world. That is easy. But it's much harder to take steps to, uh, to move towards someone who's seeing the world differently than we are. It's much harder to move towards somebody who we might have conflict with. That's hard work. Now, for Jacob, this movement towards his brother is not just hard, but it's risky. You know, as he sets off to meet his brother, he sends some messengers ahead of him to tell Esau that that he's coming in peace and that he's got riches to offer his brother. But when they come back, they tell him this. They say, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In other words, we saw your brother. He's coming, and guess what? He's bringing an army. Are you ready for this? And the next verse tells us that Jacob becomes scared and distressed. Yeah, of course, there's an army coming towards you with your angry big brother. Yeah, you're scared. 
You know, it must have felt in that moment that this move towards his brother was a really bad idea. And as we continue to read this story, we we should be feeling the fear and the uncertainty that Jacob is feeling. And, And indeed, what it does is it reminds us that to practice peace is risky. It can feel risky. It is risky. You know, as we think about what it might mean for us to move towards those that we don't see eye to eye with or move towards those people that we are in conflict with, we need to acknowledge that more often than we would like to admit, it's a risky move. You know, we are going to feel like we're putting ourselves out there, and we aren't sure how they are going to respond to us being in front of them. You know, will our presence be welcomed? Will we be perceived as a threat? Will they take advantage of us? Will it be seen as weakness? What are other people going to say? You know, will our reputation take a hit, perhaps? You know, seeking peace can be risky, but without that risk, it's impossible for us to know what could be possible. Now, as we keep reading the story of Jacob and Esau, there's a key moment in Jacob's story that is a period of intense struggle. And this reminds us that to practice peace requires that we need to embrace the struggle, in fact. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to read from verse 22 to the end of the chapter here. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and 11 sons and crossed the ford ford of Jabbok. All right, we're not going to get into the family dynamics here, but I just want to acknowledge (laughs) that there's some family dynamics here that we might be like reading this and being like, what? Um, Yeah, we'll get to that maybe another time. I'm not basing a sermon series on that, but it would be an interesting conversation. Okay, anyways, so he took his family and he crossed over the, crossed the fort of Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not over, overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip, hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man answered, answered, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, this, It is because I saw God's, God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his, hip, of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched, was touched near the tendon. All right, we'll leave that there for right now. You know, even though Jacob, or God was with Jacob, God's presence does not make this journey of reconciliation easy. In fact, prior, just prior to this, we see Jacob still trying to manage his way through the situation. He divides up his people and his possessions into two groups, just in case uh, Esau attacks. This way he's thinking, you know, I don't lose everything. And in addition, he starts to send caravans of gifts out in front of him in an attempt to, to buy his brother's mercy. And then he sends his family ahead of him. You know, in short, what what Jacob is doing is he's trying to put as much space uh, between him and the anger that he believes his brother has toward him. I'm going to send all my money, I'm going to send all the women and children, and then I'm going to come last, and hopefully by the time he gets to me, we're good. Like, he's he's trying to work the situation here. But But that night, Jacob finds himself 
alone. And he finds himself wrestling with a man. And the way that this story is told, we don't know at first who he's struggling with. And in fact, I think that that is on purpose. It's on purpose so that we can kind of enter into what is going on here. Ask the question, what's going on here? And in fact, by the time we get to a little bit later in the story, the man says that Jacob's struggle, this wrestling match, was with humans. And so we could find ourselves thinking about how that night Jacob was finding himself wrestling maybe with himself. You know, his thoughts, his emotions, his past, his assumptions, his expectations of what was going to come. You know, that night, Jacob's struggle could have very well have included dealing with everything that he was bringing into this encounter that he was going to have with his brother. And for us, as we think about this, I think we need to recognize that part of the peacemaking work that we need to do is to name and recognize everything that we are bringing into our relationships. You know, the conflict, our parts of it, the emotions, the expectations, the fears, our own, our own actions. And we, are, we bring all that in to our relationships. And that needs to be a part of our struggle as we work towards what peacemaking looks like. You know, we could also say that Jacob was wrestling with his brother. You know, I don't know about you, but I have some pretty amazing arguments with people who are not present. Like, I, and, I, like, and I win, okay? Like, I argue with people in my mind, and they are nowhere to be seen. They don't even know we're having an argument, but I have some good ones. And my sleep can become a place of struggle as the conflict I have experienced or I perceive to experience, there's not even actual conflict, is something that is wrestled through in my subconscious as I'm trying to process it. You know, for Jacob, we have to recognize there's 25 years of anticipating what might be coming his way as he meets his brother, who he's imagining as his enemy. 25 years of those thoughts swirling around in his head of his own emotions, and this is my enemy, and now I'm going to meet him. All that is coming, is a part of this wrestling journey that, he's, that he is engaged in. But of course, there's more to this wrestling match because not only this man tells uh, Jacob that not only has he wrestled with humans, but his struggle has been at, with God as well. See, for Jacob, this, is, this wrestling match is a divine encounter where God has shown up. You know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are going to find ourselves in, in times and in seasons where we are likewise in a struggle with God. And why might that be? Well, because, you know what? Jesus asks us some pretty radical things. I mean, he tells us to love our enemies, pray for those people that are out to cause us difficulty and harm. He, he invites us to forgive those who have hurt us. And these are just a few things that we might find ourselves saying, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Do you know what they did? I don't want to do with that. That's too big of, a, that's too big of something, you know, too big to ask. I can't do that. I won't. And so we might find ourselves in seasons really wrestling with what God is asking us to do and trying to, in a sense, escape it and finding ourselves in, in, in just tangled up in this wrestling match with God. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are committed to being peacemakers, you know, we need to expect these times of struggle. And we need to expect that these struggles might even wound us. I mean, there's, it's interesting that in here you find out Jacob was injured. He walks with a limp coming out of this. And so we might expect that our times of struggle also mean that we walk with a bit of a limp. That after this struggle with ourselves, with others, with God, that we, that we find that our pride has been knocked down a couple notches. Or that our social standing has taken a hit. Or that our plans have to be adjusted. 
And all these things can hurt. They can cause us to kind of feel it. Like this wasn't easy. This was hard. It hurts. But the result of this struggle can be a transformed way of approaching and engaging our circumstances. And the result of Jacob's encounter with God is that he is a changed man. You know, after wrestling with God, he, his, his name is changed and he, receive, and he receives a blessing. And in a few moments, we, we will realize that his whole approach to this conflict has changed too. He's not thinking about it the same way. Again, what we're talking about here is hard work. It's hard work that might be painful. It's not something that happens quickly or easily. And this picture of Jacob wrestling all night in the dark with the stranger should help us realize that this is something that takes time. That the work that God wants to do in each one of us takes time. It takes energy. It's hard. But the end result can be transformation in the way that we approach and engage, uh, engage in our relationships and even the relationships with people who we see, we see life differently with or people that we are in conflict with, that we are transformed as a result. You know, as we raise kids, one of the important things that we teach, we want to teach them is about how do you make things right when we've wronged somebody, Right? And so when our kids do something wrong, as parents, what we do is we, we prompt our kids to say the words, I'm sorry. And what we're doing in those moments is helping them develop uh, uh, patterns of what should happen when we realize that we've caused somebody harm. That's what we're trying to do. But what we realize we can't do is we can't actually make our kids mean it when they say those things, right? You want to, but you can't. Um, and we've all had an experience of somebody apologizing to us. They sang the words, I'm sorry, but everything about their body language and the, the tone in which they are communicating with us is telling us that they are not committed to the words that they're saying, that they're just going through the motions. They're saying the words that they're supposed to say, but they don't actually mean it. When it comes to practicing peace, here's the thing. We can't just go through the motions. Because if we do, we don't stand a chance of making any progress in, the, in our relationships. Rather, to practice peace means that we demonstrate our commitment to reconciliation. Let's read a couple more verses together here. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and their children next, and Rachel and, their, and Joseph in the rear. He still got them in groups. But he himself, this is different, he himself went on ahead, he went in front of them this time, and he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced, embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You know, in this scene, Jacob's not holding anything back. You know, he's putting himself out there. He is yielding himself to the potential anger of somebody that he has hurt. You know, his actions communicate that he's no longer trying to manipulate the situation to get what he wants, but he's fully committed. Instead, instead he's fully committed to making things right. And as a result, Esau responds to this. You know, one of the things that I think hinders our peacemaking uh, efforts, whether or not we're talking about in a family relationship or on the international stage, is when we are still trying to control the outcome. 
You know, in how we speak, we're trying to spin the narrative so we don't come off so bad. Or in how we act, we're trying to look good, perhaps try to look strong, maintain the sense of that we are strong. And in our minds, we are still trying to get the upper hand. You know, sure, we might be nice about it, hopefully. But we're trying to get the result that we want, the result that's actually good for us. But if this is how we approach division and conflict, we're not going to be able to effectively meet with others and to start a dialogue. Instead, Jacob's example here reminds us that being fully committed to peacemaking involves humility. It it involves vulnerability. It involves being open to the fact that we may have done something wrong wrong and acknowledging it when we have. You know, gone is the spin. Gone is the agenda. Jacob, rather, is just there to engage his brother. And that presence is the basis of reconciliation. Now, we acknowledge that in the story of Jacob and Esau, things worked out. There's this nice feel-good moment here at the end of what we just read. They embraced, they made peace. But we know from experience that this isn't always the case. You know, sometimes people are going to reject our attempts to find common ground. Or they're, or they're going to reject our attempts to make amends or to seek, a, seek forgiveness. That's a very real possibility. But we're never going to know if, the, if peace and reconciliation is possible if we don't give ourselves fully to that process. We have to put ourselves out there. It goes back to that risky part. While we were away on vacation a few weeks ago, I did quite a bit of fishing with one of my boys. And some of you were there and you saw his efforts, and I won't brag about that right now. Uh, but one of the, at one point, we were out there fishing and we were reeling in this line, and what came in was this big nest of tangled fishing line. And as I was looking at this, I realized I have a choice. I can cut this line and start from scratch, or, or we could try and make sense of this mess, see if we could find a loose end uh, of this fishing line and see if we could untangle it. And we actually decided, you know, we're going to try to find the loose end, uh, a loose part of this, and see if we can untangle it. And we were successful. It was one of my wins over vacation, is I could untangle a fishing line. At least I could once. Um, in some ways, I think that this mess of fishing line is a perfect image of what our relationships can look like and the options that we have before us when we talk about division and conflict. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why our relationships can be messy and can be tangled. And so we have a few options. You know, we can choose not to deal with the tangle. We can cut it out. Either we cut people out of our lives or we go on the attack and the offensive. Or we can do the slow work of trying to figure out the tangled mess. And this hard work of figuring out the tangled mess is really what peacemaking is all about. You know, as we have worked through the story of Jacob and Esau this morning, I hope that you've noticed that there's a common thread of God's presence in this tangled mess of a relationship. And indeed, our last thought this morning is that to practice peace is to allow God's presence to shape how we engage division and conflict. You know, for Jacob, you know, this whole thing started with God prompting him to go to his brother and, and God promising to go, that he would go and be with him. My guess is Jacob wasn't thrilled about going towards his brother, but at the end he, he, he does, and God goes with him. And that right there is an invitation for us to be paying attention to the prompts that the Holy Spirit may be giving us to move towards certain people in our lives. And so we might find ourselves asking the question, you know, who is God prompting me to move towards? And then as the story goes on, we see God's presence during that night of struggle. 
And this reminds us uh, to be looking for how God is present with us in, our, in those times when we are wrestling with a conflict or we are wrestling with a difference of opinion or we are wrestling to try to figure out how do we engage this. And so we might ask the question, how is God using our time of struggle to shape us? Where do we see God showing up in that? You know, as we work through this series, there are going to be moments in the series that make us feel uncomfortable. In fact, I was given the heads up that somewhere around message number two, three, or four, a bunch of us are going to say, this is a dumb series, let's move on. We're not. I got this thing planned out to the November, okay? We're doing it. <laughs> but that's real, that's real life. We're going to find our, we might find ourselves really struggling with this. And so let me encourage us to embrace this as a part of the struggle and to recognize that, that this wrestling is a part of the journey. It's a part of, of how we're going to learn how do we relate to ourselves, how do we learn to relate to others, how are, we, how are we relating to God, this recognizing that wrestling is a part of peacemaking. Now another question to reflect on is how am I seeing God in this experience? And what's really interesting to me is that for Jacob, this face-to-face -face encounter with God, this, this wrestling match that he has with God, changes how Jacob sees Esau. In fact, as Jacob and Esau reconcile, uh, Jacob says this to Esau, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Whoa, think about that for a moment. You know what this experience has done for Jacob is it has transformed his perspective to the point that he is able to see God in the person that he once saw as his enemy. Wow. That right there, I think, is something that we need to sit with for a while. You know, so often when we find ourselves at odds with someone, the, the, the places where our mind goes is, is to start to, to think with thoughts that devalue the other person, isn't it? Well, they're dumb. They're worthless. I don't really need to pay attention to what they have to say. But that type of thinking doesn't help fix our problems. But all, all it really does is it deepens divides, and it justifies the poor treatment of other people. But as we wrestle with God, one of the things that, that will grow in us is the recognition of how God is present in those places of division and conflict as well as an awareness of how God is present with the person that we're tempted to consider our enemy. You know, when we are able to see God in those places where we will be able to engage these relationships in, in life-giving ways that, that embody the peace of Jesus, and we become those peacemakers that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We can grow into that identity. You know, that's, uh, that's all I'm going to say in terms of an introduction to this message, this series on peaceful practices. I, I'm excited to see where we go over the next couple weeks. As we, uh, starting next week, we'll explore some real practical things that we can do to engage division and relational conflict. Um, and uh, next week, what, the, what we'll be exploring actually is how curiosity can help, build, uh, help us build community and explore uh, how God is at work in our relationships. And so the next week, we're going to be talking about curiosity, and I'm excited about that. Uh, as we close, I, I'll, I'll pray, and I'll invite the worship team to come to the front. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to sing to think about your goodness and your love and for all the ways in which you have shown up in our lives even this week. Lord, we acknowledge that for some of us it has been a difficult season. And Lord, my prayer is that, uh, that you would 
be present in loving, kind, gentle ways to those of us who are struggling right now. God, all of us are in a variety of relationships. Some of them are nice and easy, and others are a bit of a struggle, and there are other people that we just aren't sure how to engage anymore. And so, Lord, as we reflect on what does it mean to be uh, people who, who follow your example, Lord, over the next few weeks, over the next couple months, we are going to be exploring some peaceful practices. And God, it is my prayer for us as a church family that we would learn things that really do transform our relationships. That, God, we would come out the other side of this better equipped to engage in hard conversations in productive ways, Lord, that we would be better able to reflect your love and your kindness and your peace. God, thank you for who you are. And as we go into the week ahead, God, would you give us the ability just to see you at work in our lives and the lives of others. Amen.